Welcome to Episode 5 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. By the way, if you have any questions about anything we discuss on this program, please send them to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. That's questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. And I see even Alex and Lynn, a couple of our students today, wondering where that name came from. Well, we've developed that over the last couple of episodes, and you'll find out. Last week, I was humbled, felt about this big. And to our audience, I'm making a one-inch measurement between my thumb and forefinger. Why was I so humbled? Well, after spending the bulk of episode four examining the concept of moral courage, which we defined as the commitment to act on the knowledge of what is true, and after demonstrating that moral courage depends upon moral clarity, which we defined as knowing what is true, and following what I thought was a well-articulated explanation and defense of why the only way we can know what is true is if God reveals it to us, the very first question from a listener to that episode was, What do you mean that the only way we know something is true is if God reveals it to us? Suggesting either that the listener was not carefully paying attention when we answered that question in our analysis, or that I was unclear in my explanation. And because my job here is to teach, I took that as a big fat slice of humble pie. By the way, I think we need a prop of humble pie so that when people make mistakes or don't reach the bar, that we can pull out a piece of humble pie. Yeah, Alex has already been pointed to. I missed the mark, went either over, around, or perhaps too quickly through the minds of my audience. Whatever the reason, it's my responsibility to be clear. It is not my duty to persuade. Only the Holy Spirit can change hearts and minds. But it is my job to prove. And proving or defending one's position, what we might call giving an apologetic, demands clarity of communication and supporting evidence. I must aim to speak plainly and provide, where possible, Appropriate illustrations, metaphors, analogs, or examples. And while the unbeliever may not ultimately like or believe what I say, and while he may not like my evidence, he cannot say that I did not plainly defend, explain, or give evidence for what I believe, despite his protestations. To that end, before we move into the offices of hypothesis this week, let me reestablish the framework from which we will examine what we mean when we say that one cannot have moral clarity without God's revelation. That is, we cannot know what is true unless God reveals it. Now, the first and most common objection to the statement that we cannot know what is true without reference to God, of course, is to say, I don't believe in your God, or any God for that matter, and yet I do and can know what is true. I know, for example, that two plus two equals four. I know that apples are generally red and oranges are orange that oak trees produce oak leaves and that we get syrup from maple trees, that water at sea level boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit and freezes at 32 degrees, that tomatoes grow above ground and potatoes grow underground, that days are 24 hours long, that there are four seasons in a year, and that those seasons always proceed from winter to spring to summer to fall without exception, 
that the constitution of a molecule of water is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom, H2O. That an aircraft, Lynn might know about this, maintains flight through a combination of speed and lift. I'll tell you a joke about that later. I can also observe particular events repeatedly, like dropping my keys and watching them hit the floor, in order to draw universal conclusions like the law of gravity. That I can know that when I squeeze the toothpaste tube tomorrow, the toothpaste will come out as it did today. Or I can see a particular material object, like this circular vulcanized rubber disc with a Pittsburgh Penguins logo on it, and categorize it into a universal concept, hockey pucks, so that even if I see a different color or logo on it, See this one? See, the first one I held up has a Penguins Against the Sabres from opening night, October 3rd, 2019. This next one has a Penguins versus the Predators. That was December 28th, 2019, by the way. The first game, if you wanted to know, the Penguins lost to the Sabres. Kind of embarrassing. But they did pummel the Predators in the second game, and I'm happy to say it to my Nashville audience. But I can determine that it is a hockey puck for the same reasons. I understand the laws of logic and non-contradiction. These laws are necessary for intelligent communication. For example, I understand that I cannot simultaneously claim that my truck is in the parking lot and that my truck is not also in the parking lot. I even know how babies are born. Need I go on, says the unbeliever? In other words, the unbeliever who objects to our position that everyone depends upon God, whether they admit it or not, says, I can make sense of my experiences and observations. I can perform scientific experiments, I can read, I can see with my eyes, I can distinguish between and among categories of material objects, etc., etc., etc. And I certainly don't believe in your God, or believe that my knowing what is true is dependent on him. But is this true? Can the unbeliever know these things absent God's revelation? I recognize that most people assume that what they know is independent of God, but is this assumption true? And what evidence can they produce to support their position that they can know anything without reference to God? When we return, we will invite our students to help us examine these questions and more as we prepare to enter the offices of hypothesis. You're listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. I'm your host, Kevin Kukaji, and as is our custom, this is the part of the show where three students enter the classroom to analyze a weekly hypothesis. For their protection, all of our guests use stage names. So you are drinking your bottle of water. Ah, indeed. Your name is? Alex. Alex. Next to Alex is? Hogan. Hogan, who still hasn't fixed his name tag. I'm not going to. (sighs) He's going to rub it in. And then next to Hogan, we have a return of? Lynn. Lynn, thank you. Love your radio voice. Kind of jealous. 
Not for the feminine part of it, but for the fact that it's so smooth. She hasn't started smoking yet. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you got to get started. Who is that lady I'll on? I'll be fine. Thank on, you. Uh, on Sirius XM that has that. Nina Blackwood, yes. She's got an amazing voice. Years and years of cigarette smoking. It's just awesome. Or just smoke Jed's candy cigarettes. That works, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Um, Alex Hogan and Lynn, welcome back. Thanks again for your parents uh, lending your time. Some of you have been driven by parents, I know, too, so I thank them very much, and I do mean that. Before we enter the offices of Hypothesis, our audience may know that this week's guests, like all of our students, are what we call icebergs. They're not snowflakes. They have a deep and impenetrable moral foundation. What appears above the surface is supported by an immovable integrity below the surface. And unlike fragile snowflakes that melt and dissolve when you turn up the temperature, icebergs can withstand the withering heat of attacks against their positions without losing the integrity of their condition or the courage of their convictions. Now, how does that feel? As we may say, snowflakes may sparkle when left undisturbed, but they are no match for the titanic challenges of reality. By the way, you got to memorize that. Wait. Next week's program. <laughs> snowflakes may sparkle when left undisturbed, but they're no match for the titanic challenges of reality. Can you send that to me? Of course. All right, today's topic presents, I think, actually a titanic challenge to the underlying premise of most of the world. So without further ado, we shall now enter the... Offices of Hypothesis. This week's hypothesis... One cannot know what is true unless God reveals it. Lynn, true or false? True. Hogan. True. Alex. Do I have to talk at this moment in time? Alex, you signed a contract. I did? What? Oh. Yes, then. You're paying him, but not me? <laughs> I didn't say he was being paid. Oh. I just got him but to sign I a am. contract. Paid in Twinkies. Paying Alex in Twinkies. I would have it any other way. I had a dream that I was being paid in peppermints for as a janitor at a dance school. That would be a punishment for me. That would be someone to say, Kevin, quit working. He <laughs> will give you peppermints. <clears throat> All right. Let me give a little background to get into this, because I, I think the best way for us to examine this hypothesis is to break it down, to break down the world's arguments segment by segment and piece by piece. First, would you agree, our panel of students here, that the most common objection to the statement that we cannot know what is true without reference to God is something like this. I don't believe you're God, or any God for that matter, and yet I do and can know what is true. Would you agree with that statement? I would agree that that's the most common. I wouldn't agree with the statement, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree that that's the most common objection to the hypothesis? Yes. Right? People, people say scientists don't believe in God and look at all the things they've discovered. They're brilliant and they... They know these things, right? Okay. Yes, sir. So if your yes. friend claims that he or she knows that 2 plus 2 is 4 without reference to God, how do you respond? Oh, we need a clock here. Well, come on. The point is not just to, like, go for a whole minute. No. Um, I would say to him, we're all born. The Bible says we're all born with the knowledge of God, and everything around us was made by God. So, therefore, everything that you know comes from God and you already have the knowledge of God so you can't you still can't know anything without the knowledge of God because it's all around you but how do you explain that to an unbeliever we know that to be true and we know that scripture tells us that is true in Romans right people suppress the truth 
in unrighteousness. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. But how do you take that sentence 2 plus 2 equals 4 and start to pick it apart to expose the unbeliever's reliance upon God without his admission of reliance upon God? I guess we need more TikToks, huh? No one ever needs more TikToks. So, (laughs) yeah, T-I-C-K-T-O-C-K. What do you... What is 2 plus 2? If you look at the piece of paper, right? You do a 2 plus 2 in Arabic numerals, right? Well, it's two numbers and a plus sign. Right. But is that 2? It's a category. It is a category. Because I could put it in Roman, Roman numerals, right? And it looks entirely different, but it means the same thing. Which means 2 plus 2 is not the thing itself. It is the concept that describes that math problem, right? Because this is two-ness, right? I'm holding up so my listeners can understand. I'm holding up these two pucks again, two hockey pucks. And there are two material objects, right? Two particular objects. We identify them with a number two written in, you could write it in various languages, but it represents something. So the way to approach that with an unbeliever is to say, how do you understand these concepts? Why do they make sense according to your worldview? Remember, their worldview is absent God. They say there is no God required then how or why do they look at these two pucks and why don't they say three? Are we now saying that two is a relative concept? No, we're not saying two is a relative concept. Um, We are saying that this concept is used by believers and unbelievers alike. A believer, a Christian, who understands that the Bible is the Word of God, believes the Bible is the Word of God, that God holds everything together by the counsel of His will and gives us these things to hold things together so that we can know things we have an answer as to why there is order like this and why there are universal concepts that everybody uses, right? But a person who is not a believer will use those same concepts. How does he account for or she account for expecting you to say this is two if there is no God? They really can't most of the time if you ask them. They typically will say something like what? What is the answer that's usually given to a question like that? So that's how it is. That's what we've been told. Exactly. That's how it is. Everybody knows this, you idiot, right? Something like that. Like, don't don't get philosophical on me. Everybody but knows this. But where did this. it begin? But it's a legitimate question, isn't it? I can give you an answer, and we'll come back to this because I want to get through all of these questions, okay? If I know that apples are generally red, not talking about Granny Smith's, but when you draw a picture of an apple in elementary school, it's red, and that oranges are orange, and by the way, that always makes me wonder, which came first, the color orange or the orange? Like, is your crayon orange because oranges are orange? Or is an orange called an orange because it's the color of a crayon? And it's crayon, not crayon. I just said crayon, giving away the fact that I grew up in Pennsylvania. Oh, crayon. i sleep tonight. Okay. Actually, it would be the fruit orange because colors are something that developed over time. It's not like and an evolutionary thing. but it's concepts, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes. Categories. Okay. Oak trees produce oak leaves all the time, right? You go look at an oak tree, you don't see random maple leaves hanging off of it. And you can't get maple syrup from an oak tree or an elm tree, right? You get elm syrup and you get, I don't know if oak trees produce any sap, but you're not going to get maple syrup, right? And, and you don't put elm syrup on your pancakes oh, gosh, or oak syrup. How do you reply, though, that somebody says, well, I know that apples are red and that oranges are orange, and that's how I distinguish them from each other. How are they able to do that if they're not operating according to God's revelation, or are they? Well, they are. They're Like we talked about, they're 
putting them into categories and using concepts and stuff to sort things from each other. They're taking the apple and putting it over here and taking the orange and putting it over here and saying these are different from each other. And how do you do that if you don't believe that God is the one that created all things and holds things together? What does the unbeliever say? Why does he think in terms of categories? Because it's just how it is. Yeah, I think this is, again, something that we take for granted. We don't. The world takes for granted that they think in categories, but they can't give an answer in their worldview. They give an answer, but they're always borrowing from the Christian worldview in order to explain that. And now in a lot of ways, they're trying to get rid of the categories. Exactly. We'll get into that, too, in many later episodes. Ooh, now I have... I have lots of discussion. Okay, so the water at sea level boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit and freezes at 32 degrees. Why does this happen? Because that's the way God designed it. Right, that's our answer. And what does the world say when we, when we say that's the way that God designed it and he did it for our good, right, so we can have ice, so we can boil things to, boil things to clean them, right? There's benefits to this. But the world, how does the world respond when we say... It's God holding these things together by his order. They freak out and they're like, oh, no, it happened by chance. It's, it's just totally normal. That's part of the reason. They also say, well, that's just because you believe it, right? And, of course, we say, Phineas and Ferb. Well, yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But Every- it wouldn't, but if they're saying, like, if they don't believe in God, it takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. Right. Because, you know, God has always been there and it's like we have more evidence of God than we do not having God. We've got plenty of evidence. The, the issue is that they don't like our evidence. The question is never, do we have sufficient evidence? It's that to them, they say, I will only accept certain types of evidence. I will exclude from the conversation any evidence that I don't like. Any supernatural evidence, I'm going to exclude from the conversation. Well, if you're talking about a supernatural God, it only makes sense that you use supernatural evidence. That doesn't take the evidence out of the realm of what is true. It just moves it out of the realm of what the unbeliever likes. I was just going to say, you have to work hard to suppress the truth, too, because it's all right there, and you're just denying it, like, flat out. There's a presumption, isn't there, that God is ambiguous. People say, oh, I don't see God, right? Um, Well, that's presuming that God has to look a certain way to them, right? Um, How about the days? Why are the days 24 hours long, always? Right? Except we have to recorrect every, every four years, but even that's consistent, right? 365 and a quarter days a year, then you have leap year to correct that, and then you get back. So why is that so consistent? Why does spring always follow winter? Why don't we go from winter to summer and then to spring and then to fall? Why don't we have two falls in a row and then summer and winter, right? Why is it always winter, spring, summer, fall in that order year after year for as long as we know, right, for since the creation of the world? Because that's how God designed it to be. Yeah, and, and we can give a reason, a very practical reason for that too, right? The seasons, the growing seasons, um, just like there's rest for the body every day, right? You have night where you rest. You have rest for the ground, for the soil to be able to produce and reproduce every year, right? Some places have two growing seasons. Other places have one. Where I grew up in Pennsylvania, it was most clearly one, but we had great rich soil, so that one growing season was a good, a good season, but short. But how does the unbeliever explain these things outside of a Christian worldview, or does he? Alex, you're a man of few words today. I thought maybe you'd have a joke to give us. I have a joke, but it's not relevant. Okay, good. Next week, Alex, by the way, is going to be our punching bag. In love. 
all in yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll make sure that we put on um, soft gloves. I was not aware of this until today, so I have no idea what's going to be. I can't wait. That's a you good advertisement for, for I'll, listeners I'll for next for week. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. Let's talk about I'll water. Why is water H2O and why should it always be H2O? Why can't I drink H2SO4 and quench my thirst? Why can't I drink bourbon? <laughs> 21, 21. We're you can drink bourbon when, when we can legally say your name on air. So why is water always H2O? If, if, if you don't believe in God, then why should you expect water to always be H2O? And why should that always be drinkable? Why is water today drinkable, but water tomorrow? Why shouldn't water tomorrow be undrinkable? What are we relying upon? We drink, when I drink this, I'm trusting that my body is still going to um, react the same way with water, right? Taking a sip on air. Right? Seems to be the same, because but I can account for that. But why? Okay, so chemistry, we're talking about certain properties of matter, right? Why does matter operate consistently under consistent conditions, right? We talked about with boiling. Why does water boil at 212 degrees when exposed to heat at sea level all the time? If, if you don't have a God that's holding everything together by the counsel of his will, why can't why doesn't the water boil tomorrow randomly at like 150 degrees or not boil until you get to 300? How does an unbeliever answer that question? I really don't believe there is a way like I mean they see the consistency but the consistency is being held together by God so it's impossible for them to explain anything else. How about this? Let's talk about gravity and laws. First of all, what is a law? Is a law something you can see? It's a concept of it's consistency. A, it's a concept of consistency. Developed how? How do we develop laws? Let's talk about gravity, right? Over. I drop my keys, or here I'll drop the puck. Oh, yeah. That was really loud. So we could do this over and over and over again, and we won't, because we know how gravity works. It's my turn. But gravity, gravity then is the law that we come up with, right? It's a universal concept to explain a particular event that happens over and over and over again. Obviously, we're on Earth. If we were on the moon, gravity wouldn't work the same way. Wait, we're on Earth? We are. Alex, you may not be. So when that happens, we develop a law. But is a law something material? No. It's an immaterial concept, right, that describes these things. Okay, but everybody operates according to the laws of gravity. And I don't just mean by that we all stick to the Earth, but... We assume these things. Most people of any sane mental condition are not going to go up to the top of the roof and jump off with an umbrella, right? Christian or not Christian. Unless Mary Poppins can do it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think Movies. Alex would do it too. <laughs> Please, Alex, don't do that. We'd like you to come back for another program. I'm excited. Don't week. do that. <laughs> don't come back for another program. No, no, don't <laughs> jump off the roof. So, and you wouldn't jump off the roof. Why? With an umbrella. Because I don't have a parachute. Yeah. But I would from an airplane. Or a jetpack. But non-Christians operate according to those same principles, right? A non-Christian, we're talking about sane people, not somebody who's mental or who's on drugs or has a suicide desire. A non-Christian as equally or as equal to a, a Christian is going to understand those laws of gravity. And yet in the non-Christian's worldview, one in which there is no God who holds everything together by the counsel of his will— how does he know and depend upon the fact that tomorrow when he jumps off the roof, the umbrella might not work or it might work? How does he account for that in his worldview? 
if there was a very sturdy umbrella and a very heavy upwind. He he really can't. He can't. Yeah, he does though, doesn't he? Tries. How about the toothpaste? How do you know when you squeeze the toothpaste today, the toothpaste is going to come out? That's one thing I will say you don't necessarily know. It depends how much toothpaste is left. Let's assume a fresh tube of toothpaste. Boy, you guys always add these qualifications. I think maybe Lynn should be a lawyer if she doesn't become a pilot. I actually wanted to be a Supreme Court justice when I was five years old. That was my dream job. A five-year-old Supreme Court justice. That would be a little bit weird. Why wouldn't you want to be a Supreme Court justice when you're like... 35 or 45. Identified as 35. Yeah. She wanted to be a five year old. No, 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 no. I was five years old when my dream was to be a Supreme Court justice. You see, I can be a lawyer too. Oh, I am. And that's why I made sure that you restated your position because you actually made it sound like you wanted to be a five year old Supreme Court justice. That'd be cool too. (laughs) I can identify it as anything anymore. I'd watch that TV show. So how do you know if you're squeezing the tube of toothpaste, let's say it's, again, for all the lawyers in the audience and in the studio, say it's a brand new tube of toothpaste, and you squeeze it today to put it on toothpaste on your toothbrush, how do you know it's going to come out? It's an easy answer. Children know it. A five-year-old Supreme Court justice would know it. I know. I just, <laughs> I took the long road, want to be a pilot. <laughs> um, it's not a hard question. Don't, don't put too much because into it. Because of force. Right? Force pushing the toothpaste out of the tube. Well, okay. So why why is the force tomorrow going to push the tube, or today, going to push the tube out of the, the toothpaste out of the tube? Because that's how God designed it. Okay. But if I'm not a believer, I'm going to say what? It's just how it is. Yeah, it happened. And they'll also probably look to yesterday and say, well, it happened yesterday, and it happened the day before, and to those who brush their teeth more than once a day. It happened at lunch. It happened at breakfast. It happened at dinner last night, right? So what do you say, though? When that's the answer, when the answer to Alex, when someone says to you, I know it's going to happen today because it happened yesterday, and, and this is an unbeliever who's saying this, what do you say? Why should you believe that today is going to be the exact same as yesterday? Yeah, or even resemble. Right? It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but why? How do you account for expecting today to resemble yesterday? Right? I can because I'm a Christian, right? Christian worldview holds that unless the world is the way that God designed it, unless you are the way that God designed you and things are as God says they are, you can't give an account for why the toothpaste should come out of the tube tomorrow the same way. It's easy. A child knows this. But what the child is doing is depending upon God's revelation. We're depending on this consistency of order. But if you are not a believer, you have no basis in your own worldview to account for why you should expect tomorrow to resemble today at all. Why, why wouldn't you squeeze it tomorrow? Does it just not come out? Or let's say it comes out super fast all of a sudden. Okay, next question. Hockey pucks. If I see this puck, look, I'm, I'm already doing it. I'm describing it as a puck. It's a circular piece of vulcanized rubber. And it has, this one has a Penguins and a Sabres logo on it from opening night, October 3rd, 2019. And yet I can hold this other object with a Penguins logo and a Predators logo. Remind you again, Predators lost that game to the Penguins. By the way, that was funny. Hogan will appreciate this. Penguins played Predators back-to-back. First game was here in Nashville. Second game was in Pittsburgh. My family actually drove to see the second game. We went to the first game here and then drove to see the second game. And what was great about it was not only did the Penguins win both games, 
But in both games, the Predators were so poor that they had to pull their goalie in the, after the first period. In both games. So you had, um, I think Soros started the first game, and he had to be pulled and replaced with Pecorine in the, in the second period. And vice versa. And then they get to Pittsburgh, and it was reverse. Pekka started, and they had to pull him. I remember that. Soros. That was great. How do I know these are both pucks? Magic. Not magic. Because you've categorized them from something else. Well, you you know it's not a cow or a water bottle or a microphone. Right. So I know I know it's not those things, and it's not a barn, and it's not a candle that we've got here. It's not these glasses or a computer screen or a bell. Right? It is a bell. <laughs> so I know these things, but this is not... The concept of puck is not limited to this object because if you say this is a puck, then I hold this up and you say, well, that's a puck too, right? Well, are these two things the same? No, but mm. they're similar. Yeah, they're similar. And similarity is a concept, right? It's an immaterial concept. Right? You can't touch it, taste it, feel it, see it. It's a concept that you impose upon a particular object. Well, a Christian can explain why we do this in the same way that we repeat it over and over again. But if I'm not a Christian and I'm not operating, if I believe that I'm not operating according to God's revelation, how do I explain that I'm categorizing these two things? Why can't I, why don't I call this a puck and this a truck? How do I know that they're different? I'm using the immaterial concepts that Christians use, aren't I? Yes. But I'm pretending otherwise. How about, let's talk about one last category and then I'll get into kind of giving this a wrap up. What about and this is not meant to talk about anything inappropriate, but to drive home the point, what about sexual reproduction and how babies are born? The world can say, I know how babies are born, and there's lots of people who have babies who aren't Christians, they know how to do that, and yet we know that babies come about through male and female reproduction, right? Sexual reproduction, too, by the way. It's not cell division, which we studied in our embarrassing the evolutionist class, right? Okay, so why? Why does that happen consistently? Why, why when a man and woman conceive a child, why doesn't... That, there was one television show, I think it was the... I forget what the show was. said somebody was pregnant, had a basketball. How, why do we know that a basketball doesn't come from the union of a man and woman? Why is it a child? Why don't they give birth to a carrot? <laughs> right? Or a hockey puck. Because... Humans reproduce humans, just like different fruits reproduce different fruits. But why is that? Why don't fruits produce humans? And why don't humans produce fruits? Because it's the way the world was designed. I feel like that would be a really traumatizing <laughs> Well, it would be traumatizing. You just see a baby growing from an apple tree. <laughs> but that's just it, right? It's, it, it, these conversations sound absurd, but the world's answer is, oh, that's just the way it is. They take for granted everything that comes from God's holding everything together by his design and by his order. And the world's very proud of this knowledge too, isn't it? The world assumes it can make sense of these experiences and observations without God, that it can perform scientific experiments, thinking in terms of cause and effect, with no answer as to why one thing should resemble another, or why the future should look anything like the past. The world says, I can read, I can see with my eyes, I can make coherent interpretation of what I see. I can distinguish between and among categories material objects. And I certainly don't believe in your God or anyone else's, and I don't need him or I'm not dependent upon him. 
But are the world's assumptions true? Can the world know these things absent God's revelation? As I explained last week, we readily acknowledge and agree that the world does not place its hope in Christ, the God of Scripture. We concede that the world may think itself autonomous and that man's understanding is the measure of all things. But our answer to those claims is that the world deceives itself, and self-deception is both real and incredibly powerful, blinding the unbeliever to the reality that unless the world is what God says it is in the Scriptures, unless we are who God says we are, unless all things are what God asserts them to be in the Word, and unless all things are held together according to the counsel of His will, then the world cannot account according to the world's own belief system for why it can know these things. Please don't misunderstand. We agree that the world knows these things, but that is not the question. The question is not that the world knows what it knows, but rather why the world can know anything. And to that question, the world has no coherent answer. They say, oh, that's just the way it is, or it's always been that way. But that is not an answer. Imagine the world's response if we claim that, quote, the God of the Bible is real just because that's the way it is, or it has always been that way. The world only knows what it knows because it is stealing from a biblical worldview while pretending to be operating on its own, autonomously or independent of God's revelation. But as it says in Romans 1, 18 through 21, and my students who've been in my class have this memorized, the world suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their minds became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So far from being obscure, knowledge of God is inescapable. As the scriptures say, it is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, now choose life so that you and your children may live. When we return, we'll take questions from our audience outside the studio. This is Jesus and the Rockets. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. So this is the part of the program where we take questions from our audience. If you have any questions from this week's program that you would like us to address in next week's episode, please submit your questions to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. And that, by the way, is I-C-E-B-E-R-G-S-N-O-T-S-N-O-W-F-L-A-K-E-S.com. Wow, that's a mouthful. 
A memorable mouthful. Questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. And uh, I'll do my best to respond on a future episode. All right, so I'm, I'm going to take one question. I've got a couple in from listeners, but I'm going to take one in the interest of time. The question is, let me put on my spectacles here, to a non-believer who perhaps sees God as a fairy tale, how does because that's how God made it hold any more weight than because that's how it is? And I think I understand where this is coming from. I love, by the way, the word always says, um, you know, you, you Christians believe in a fairy tale in the sky. And um, the first thing you need to say is, uh, no, we don't. Where do we say that? We believe in the God of the Bible. And I think that's a very helpful, it's, it's really helpful to understand that you don't have to panic when an unbeliever asks you a question like that, because most of the unbelievers' questions are rooted in a bias, and there's no evidence to support what they're saying. So I would say, where's your evidence to support that I think there is a fairy tale, or I think God is a fairy tale, or that God... And then if they say God is a fairy tale, you say, where's your evidence that God is a fairy tale, right? It's, it's easy to throw out the, the comment and the remark, but they're all rooted in bias, most of them. Okay, so here's the, the way that you explain the answer to this question to someone who says, what is the difference? Um, you have to ask the unbeliever, what is your alternative, right? In other words, the unbelievers really cha- – this question about why is it any different to say because that's the way that God hold, holds the world together versus them saying it's no God. It is true. This gets back to Phineas and Ferb, right? Everybody reasons circularly. We don't sit here and pretend that we don't start with the belief. We presuppose that the Bible is true, right? We never step away from that reality. We don't pretend that that's not the case. But we point out that the world does the same thing, right? The world also presupposes that the Word of God is not true, right? So we have two different circles, and neither of those circles is supported by anything other than a presupposition, right? The world starts with a belief, and we start with a belief. That's, that's really, really important to establish, because the world would like to make it sound like they're starting with evidence. Well, they don't have any evidence that God doesn't exist. They're starting with a belief. We are starting with a belief, too, right? So the first thing to admit is that both people reason circularly. Everybody does. Let me say it this way. A person only seeks to prove what he already believes, and we can get into that in another episode. Um, nobody's neutral. Everybody starts with a bias. So our bias is that the Bible is true and that it is the Word of God. The world's bias is that it's not the Word of God. Now then, how do you make the difference or the distinction? Well, everybody reasons in a circle, but not all circles are intelligible. Not all circles are credible. The question is, whose circle is true? My circle says that I believe the God of the Bible holds everything together by the counsel of wisdom. I believe the God of the Bible, so therefore I believe the Word of God is God's only infallible Word, right? Therefore, it leads me to the conclusion that what God says about the creation, fall, redemption, consummation, I believe all of those things and that God holds these things together by the counsel of his will, right? The world rejects all those things. Now you have to ask, which is true? I can say that the that the Christian world is, is true because there's, it is impossible that any other worldview can account for all of our observations and experiences, right? In other words, it's what the late Greg Bonson used to refer to as the impossibility of the contrary. In other words, 
give me an alternative to why these things happen. And there is no alternative. You, I have not, I've examined every other worldview, not, not, in, not in a sense of every, every, every subcategory of belief, but the fact that if you, if you look at every person who doesn't believe, at the end or the ultimate point of their lack of belief is that they believe that man is ultimate, and that there is no God, right? That man is the measure of all things, whereas we believe that God is the measure of all things. Therefore, we submit our knowing these things to God. If you believe that man is the measure of all things, no matter if you are a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, a Taoist, I mean, you could go through hundreds of different subcategories of unbelief. At the end of the day, you have to be able to prove that your worldview is coherent and makes sense. And, that, and none of those worldviews can make sense of all of their experiences for many of the reasons that we explained today. A person can say, I know that the constitution of water is H2O, but according to their worldview, they can't tell you that why water should always be H2O. They can tell you they understand that gravity works because they've seen it for many, many years. But as even David Hume, who was not a believer, right? He was an atheist. David Hume, the philosopher, even t told his compatriots of the day, that you couldn't rely upon science then if something wasn't holding this order together. Why would gravity work that way tomorrow? Yes, it's worked that way for thousands of years, but that doesn't tell me why it's, not going, to, why it's going to happen the same way tomorrow. You're depending upon it and you're relying upon it. Well, outside of a Christian worldview, what's your answer for why that happens? Right? So let me bring it back around again. The question about to summarize the question about how we know that our worldview is true, we never back away from the challenge, which is, well, you're reasoning circularly. We always remind the unbeliever that, yes, and so are you. Our circles are different. My circle presupposes the God of Scripture. Your circle presupposes there is no God of Scripture, right? The difference not is not that everybody reasons in a circle. It's whose circle is most credible and authentic. And I challenge anyone to say that there is an alternative that explains all of and connects all of our experiences and observations more completely, thoroughly, and coherently than the Christian worldview. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist. <laughs>